baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Ukraine may be a world away, but over the past week, that world has gotten a lot smaller. Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world, thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. And frankly, we've gotten to know the Ukrainian people better these days. Some from far away, others who are our neighbors. Our army is very strong. We, you know what, we have an idea, and this idea keeps us strong. And uh, we are uh, protecting our land, our country. This week on 880 In-Depth, the war in Ukraine. How will this end? Uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheld. These have been anxious days, watching Russia's war on Ukraine play out on live television and social media. This is CNN Breaking News. I want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. It is Friday, March 4th, and I'm Brianna Keeler with John Berman. We're following breaking news. Russia has attacked a civilian nuclear power plant. This is a first in human history. Each day seems worse than the last. The war is getting tremendously hot, and it's, it's becoming really nasty. Vladislav Davidson is an independent journalist who is now working in the region, he lived in Brooklyn for a time and is keeping up that hometown connection by doing some reporting for us. So I, I abandoned Kiev when the war started and I reported from the Belarus border. And now I left that also. So I don't have the right paperwork to, to go back yet. I'm getting that in a couple of days, maybe one day or two days. The Ukrainians are fighting back and they're fighting back very well. The resistance has been stiff, but the Russians are not going to give up the war yet. By some estimates, there are about a million Americans of Ukrainian descent in the United States today. Uh, well, my name is Marina Prihodko. Um, I am currently living and working in New York City. Uh, I don't think I should go into which neighborhood exactly, but... We wanted to reach out to Ukrainians living in our community to help see the story through their eyes. Marina is a recent graduate of NYU, now working here in New York, but also spending time mostly as a Ukrainian community activist and organizer. She is a board member of the group Razum for Ukraine, which roughly translates to Together for Ukraine. She spent time talking to our Rabia Gersoy, 
for a conversation about the painful experience of watching this invasion of your homeland play out a world away. It began this way. How has your week been? Um, it's been pretty sh- uh, I'm not going to lie. I've lost the ability to filter myself. Um, and I'm probably going through like the 12 stages of grief at this point. So I, I don't really have <laughs> any, um, any like fun, positive things to say, really. That's totally understandable. I think that's the most honest response I've received. What was your initial reaction when you found out you know, first heard about the attacks, actually? Uh, I was in shock. Uh, There was so many things hitting me all at once um, because I have family in Ukraine and not only in Ukraine, but in the second largest city in Ukraine and the eastern part, um, which is Kharkiv. And I I just couldn't believe this was happening. I I mean, for weeks, we had been going through these... uh, this mental roller coaster about is it going to happen? Is it or not? And then just in a matter of uh, hours, it it actually happened. It began, and it was kind of the worst case scenario, uh, having to find out that your home is going probably going to be destroyed through a TV announcement by the Russian president, in which he says he's going to do everything possible to destroy all of Ukraine. Uh, I never in my wildest dreams did I think that would even be possible. Um, And I think I speak for a lot of uh, Ukrainians around the world where it's still really, really difficult to come to terms with. Nobody believes this is real um, and nobody knows what to do to stop it. And nobody knows what to do uh, to to just make it part of a really bad nightmare and move on. And we're going to be suffering through this for a really, really long time. Our, our lives and my life in particular, I've only recently come to this realization, um, have changed forever. There, there is no yesterday, basically. And there, I don't know what life was like before this. And you said you have family in Ukraine. Were you able to contact them? Are you in touch with them? The first thing I did was was call them and and make sure um, because it, it wasn't Kharkiv that was attacked right away. Uh, and, with, and I'm talking like in a matter of minutes. I'm not even talking days. Every single city was attacked almost immediately. But uh, there was there was a little bit of time that I had to speak to them just to tell them to take this seriously. And but I couldn't even believe I was doing that. And I didn't know what that meant. Like, how do you protect yourself from rocket shelling uh, in the 21st century? Um, But they were in disbelief themselves. uh, So but it all came crashing down pretty quickly. And then the last week, every three hours, I've just been checking in. Um, Some of my family members are in bomb shelters that do not have service. Uh, so I don't get to hear from them for days on end uh, if the, if it's a really, really um, critical time and they're under constant shelling. Uh, some of my family members are in bomb shelters such as uh, subways where there is service available and internet. So I do get to talk to them and, and uh, message with them pretty consistently. Um, 
but it's it's really unpredictable and this has caused me and so many ukrainians that are away from ukraine right now to uh lose every sense of routine that we ever had our uh you know internal rhythms are completely out of whack um we are only focused on uh making sure everything is okay um and following the the patterns of the shelling because it could be 3 a.m in new york but that's already 10 a.m uh in ukraine and it could be a really 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 terrible time uh, because it's really unpredictable you don't know if they're going to shell at night or in the morning and you need to be ready even if you're not there physically you need to be ready uh to to just try and respond to this um and that that's saying nothing about my family members who uh some of them have not been able to sleep for more than 48 hours because of the fear the horror uh, the realization that this is happening, the need to protect their immediate family members and to figure out what they're going to do next, if this is going to be something that lasts for more than just a few weeks. And how is their move process? Like, uh, were they making decisions on the spot or did they have anything planned moving forward? Um, about, uh, three weeks ago, I, I only, I got back from Ukraine, um, in the middle of January myself. And that's when the, the threats of escalation were pretty bad already. Um, so I was pretty insistent in communicating to my family members that they do need to come up with a plan, but really nobody believed that this would happen on this scale, at least, uh, especially in, in Kharkiv, because, there, there's just no logical explanation why uh, Russia would attack Kharkiv in particular, the way they have done already. So a few of my family members slowly started to get like their basements ready, for example. Um, I asked everybody to just make sure that they have at least a week's worth of food ready, non-perishable food. Uh, people were slowly making these plans, you know, gathering their belongings. And uh, in the week following up to this event, when it was starting to be a bit more of a um, for, foreboding thing. Some people started putting together emergency backpacks. Um, but really amongst my family and in Kharkiv, it just, um, there was no explanation. Nobody could have predicted this. And um, many, many people were caught off guard, unfortunately. And when speaking to them, like, what were some of their biggest fears and concerns? I mean, death. I mean, you can't protect yourself from a rocket missile. You, you just can't. Um, Russia has the, the either the first or second best, in quotation marks, army in the world. And uh, the Ukraine was just not prepared for that, I think, on a larger scale. So and what how else can you feel you're 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 afraid to die because you know it's it's imminent there's there's just no way if um if a bomb lands on your house or in your neighborhood it's 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 just death you're going to die so um th- this is what's going through people's minds right now and especially when it all started uh before there were uh, ways of you know moving to the shelters or the bomb shelters. Um, now it's a little bit different because 
there's a, a food shortage. Uh, Kharkiv as a region is a little bit blocked off. Um, a lot of the infrastructure has been severely affected. Uh, a lot of the communications have been severely affected and people are not able to get in or out, um, which means that help can't get in and people can't get out. Mm-hmm. So this is another thought uh, at the top of people's minds. And are, are they trying to, you know, leave the country or are they trying to find a safe place within the country? Because I know there's been a lot of debate within families about whether they want to leave Ukraine, but they also, you know, have this sense of nationalism that they don't want to leave Ukraine. Uh, I wouldn't say it's nationalism. It's just um, a sense of loyalty. You know, my family members uh, don't know anything other than Ukraine. And my family members certainly don't want to be uh, viewed as refugees and they don't want to cause or be a part of another refugee crisis in Europe. We've all seen this before. There's nothing, there's no good part of it at all. And um, for the time being, uh, my elderly family members in Kharkiv have decided to shelter in place because it's much more difficult for them to to even move to safety. Um, So it's unfortunate, but this is the decision that they have to make. And uh, my uh, other family members, which are a bit younger and have, you know, children and things like that, that are beginning to be negatively affected by the war and the constant shelling, have decided to move to safety further within the country. But um, I, I personally know of people, my friends, for example, a few friends and acquaintances in Ukraine, family members, uh, not family members, but friends of family members that have made their way towards the border and uh, have crossed into other European countries. Um, but my my family are pretty resolute in their decision to stay within Ukraine. And uh, for, uh, for what it's worth, they're hopeful that this will all be over very soon. And they, they all believe in, in the power and the strength of the Ukrainian army to defend Ukraine. We see the unity among leaders of nations, a more unified Europe, a more unified West. We see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. This is the real test. And it's going to take time. So let us continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people to our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forge the deep bond that connects our two nations. We stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom. And he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. And how do you feel when you see the whole world standing with Ukraine? I, that's also really hard to believe. Like um, just yesterday, uh, Tom Felton, uh, AKA Draco Malfoy of the Harry Potter series did an Instagram live where he raised money for the organization I am a part of and on the board of Razum for Ukraine. Um, 
And funny enough, J.K. Rowling tweeted in support of Ukraine today, too. And Madonna and uh, Gigi Hadid have like said things of support for Ukraine. And it's just everywhere. Times Square, uh, all the the. Um, the screens in Times Square last night were blue and yellow and it said stand with Ukraine on Times Square and all these monuments and places of importance all over the world in major cities are, you know, uh, lighting up in, in blue and yellow colors of the Ukrainian flag. It's it's incredible to see. I've never again in my wildest dreams. I didn't think this was possible, this type of support, because when the actual war started in 2014, we got a pretty lackluster response. We were sort of kicked to the side and said, well, you've got to deal with this on your own and, you know, don't, don't really expect a lot of support um, on uh, the international scale, which was so disappointing and so disheartening. So this kind of like difference is night and day. Uh, I'm thankful for it. And all Ukrainians are so thankful and so grateful uh, for, for this show of solidarity but uh, it's it's a little too late. Um, it's it's it should have been uh, much earlier when we were you know ringing the bells and sounding the alarms about the 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 evil potential of of the Putin regime. That's all my question. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, uh, anything else I would like to add? If I'm allowed, uh, I always have to add the call to action. Um, the Ukrainians cannot do this on their own. Uh, the, these words of support and shows and showcases of support are really, really nice. But what we really, really need um, is for people to contact their representatives and government and demand for more support for Ukraine, uh, humanitarian aid, military aid, and financial aid. And uh, across the board, there needs to be more aggressive sanctions against Russia, against the Russian oligarchs and the Russian elite and their families. And there needs to be um, advocation for the seizure of their assets. This is the only way to help Ukraine. This is the only way to stop the war and the killing um, as soon as possible. This cannot be going on for more than another week. This absolutely cannot. And it should not. In 2022, uh, we've got bigger problems to worry about. And war should not have any place in our world. And we need everybody, the entire world, to realize this. Marina Prihodko with our Rabia Gersoy. Tonight, as the war in Ukraine enters its second week, Russian troops are surging into the country. A senior Defense Department official tells CBS News that 90 percent of the forces that were at the border have now been deployed into battle. Russian troops have stepped up their brutality with an increased bombardment of major cities and civilian areas. Missile strikes are targeting residential neighborhoods. The invasion has been an amazing thing to watch for many here in the United States. Oh, it, it's heartbreaking. I, I, you know, watch the TV like 15 hours a day now, and uh, I have, uh, you know, ex extended family in Ukraine, and I've got a lot of friends who live in Ukraine. I've got a lot of friends over covering the war. Beth Noble, a professor of communications and media at Fordham University. Before her teaching career, Beth Noble spent two decades as a journalist, much of it in Moscow 
where in the late 90s and early 2000s, she served as Moscow bureau chief for CBS News. How do you think this is playing out in in uh, in Russia itself? I know we've heard reporting uh, about it, but, you know, from your time there, how do you think this is all being received? So I want to talk about two different things. One is how is the official Russian media reporting this and then how are people getting information aside from that? So the you know in Russia the bulk of the media is under the direct control of the Russian government or is owned by Kremlin friendly oligarchs. It's not like here where we've got a free press and a public broadcaster like PBS. This is direct government control control. Uh, the Kremlin, you know, will send the word down to n- its news organizations. We're going to do this and do that. And so um, outlets in Russia have been told they cannot use words like war or invasion to describe what's going on. Um, they're saying really ridiculous things that, you know, the Ukrainians are attacking themselves. Um, They're grasping at straws at anything that they can show um, to illustrate that the world is actually on the side of Russia and not on the side of uh, the Ukrainians. I've been watching Russian television over the last day. And um, this morning they showed a film with just like a handful of tanks on a highway heading into Kiev. But what they didn't show was the all-out war going on in cities like Kharkiv and like Kherson in the south of of the country. And uh, they showed pictures of small towns with broken windows and a few bullet holes in fences and totally ignored the fact that they're kind of trying to flatten some of these Ukrainian cities right now. And so if Russians are just watching state TV, they're not getting the truth at all about what's going on. You know, I hate to use the prop, the word propaganda, but it it's propaganda. That said, you know, everybody I know in Russia has a smartphone and I know, you know, 80-year-old relatives and former nannies and friends who are able to use those phones and the internet and their computers to consume news uh, in Russian or, you know, in another language if they speak it to find out what's really going on. And social media has been a a godsend. Um, Anybody who wants to really find out what's going on in, in Ukraine who's Russian can find out about it without any problems. Uh, One of the things that the BBC said just yesterday is that viewership and readership of BBC Russia service, its Russian language arm, is up three times from a year ago. So that's encouraging that Russians who do want to know what's actually going on have any uh, amount of choices to go out and actually find the truth about what's going on, no matter what their government doesn't want them to know. Beth, much has been made of um, what's been described as the failures of the Russian military operations so far in the first few days of the war, lack of air superiority, slow movement of convoys, whether that's intentional or not, supply issues, and even the morale of the troops, uh, many of them young um, soldiers that were, um, you know, conscripted, that that this wasn't their necessarily their choice. The, the morale of the, of the fighting men uh, or young men, Um, has been a subject of of much discussion in the free press. What do you make of all of that? Well, I mean, it 
it sort of seems to be the truth. I mean, um, when I'm watching things or reading things, you know, as a journalist, I'm always asking myself, like, how do I, how do I know if this is true? And in fact, you know, it's you have to be really careful about all the information coming out of any war zone. Um, but there's so much information coming out from so many different sources that you know it, they can't all be lying. And so there's just a pattern of Russian soldiers being captured by the Ukrainians. Um, and, you know, some of them are facing the camera and then you're like, well, are they under duress? But like, you'll see them where they're, you know, talking to their parent on a phone and somebody just happens to have a cell phone and is putting it on social media. And so you can see this soldier just talking to a parent saying like, hey, I'm okay. I'm being well trained, you know, treated and like, uh, you know, I didn't know that this was going to happen. And, you know, we have to remember that the Russian people and the Ukrainian people are very, very close. Um, so many of my Russian friends have Ukrainian roots and Ukrainian relatives. And so you can imagine that a lot of them really were shocked when they found out that they were going into Ukraine and just did not want to do it. This war is very, very unpopular. In terms of the Russian convoys and the Russian uh, military assault, you know, we're, we're kind of at the mercy of intelligence services who are uh, able to look at it from uh, satellites um, and people on the ground who are sort of creating a mosaic of what's going on by what they see. But social media, you know, kind of gives us thousands of eyewitnesses all over the country. And so if you really start paying attention to what people are saying, who are there on the ground, even if they're not journalists, and they're like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. And when you see it from enough people, you think, okay, this sounds like it's actually true. Um, and, you know, a military assault on a neighboring country is really hard. It's a lot of people to supply with food and with ammunition and with gasoline. And the supply my operation is very complicated, even though it may not be a, you know, only a 30-mile supply line in some places from the Russian border to a city like Kharkiv. That's still a lot of people and material and things to, to get across and organize. And the Russians have not had to do anything like this in a very long time. Are, are you surprised at, at what you're seeing out of Ukraine? You know, the, 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 the strength and conviction it's their homeland, obviously, but it really has taken the world, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. I mean, I think the the biggest surprise out of this is, is really Volodymyr Zelensky. There's, there's nothing in his background that suggests that he would become this rallying figure. And I'm not sure he did a really great job in the run-up to the war. Um, in particular, he was he's kind of downplaying this idea that the Russians uh, could attack all you know, during the entire time that the Olympics were going on. Um, President Biden and the, the U.S. was saying they're going to attack, they're going to attack. Any day now they're going to attack. And, and Zelensky was sort of like, eh, yeah, yeah, no, no, we think it's okay. And then the Russians did attack, you know, a couple of days after the Olympics ended. And it was a real shock to the Ukrainian people who were believing their leader and not stocking up in food and not making plans to leave. And, and uh, you know, I'm not sure that he served them well by doing that. But since the war started, his ability to rally his people has been a, a really um, 
big surprise. I don't think anyone in Ukraine expected it. I don't think Putin expected it. Certainly people in the West did not um, expect it. I think Zelensky has earned a huge amount of respect for himself amongst his countrymen and amongst the world uh, community. I don't think that I think Putin may have underestimated him. Um, You know, being a comedian is not really great uh, preparation for being a president. But I think Zelensky as a person has learned a lot. And uh, his personal bravery uh, has been very inspirational to his own people. There are 15 nuclear reactors in Ukraine. If one of them blows, that's the end for everyone. That's the end of Europe. All of Europe will have to evacuate. Immediate action must be taken to stop the Russian army. Don't allow the death of Europe. Stop this potential atomic catastrophe. So the question we all want to know the answer to, how does this end? Uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. And, you know, that's a really important question because uh, the ruble, the value of the ruble has already uh, taken a big hit. How much more it will tank, uh, no one really knows. Russian stocks have really tanked. Um, the the world is throwing everything that it can in terms of punishment at the Russian people that it can think of other than, you know, direct military attack. Um, and because this is such uncharted territory, I really don't think anybody knows how long it can go on um, and whether the Russian people will continue to rise up as the situation in the country gets worse, as it certainly will, as these economic sanctions uh, continue to chip away at the economy. You know, how long is it going to be before the Russian people really rise up en masse? I mean, we've seen uh, demonstrations and protests all over the country, but they've been relatively small. But if they start growing, particularly as the situation gets worse and the weather gets warmer, um, you know, it's just not clear if the Russian state can survive that. I'm wondering what you think about Russians living here in the United States and what they must be up against and a fear of backlash within uh, the borders of our country. Yeah, well, I think we're already seeing that. Um, I was told by my son that um, the Russian Tea Room on West 57th Street has, you know, not had a lot of guests the last couple of days. Um, and certainly, yes, it's a, you know, a, perhaps New York's best known Russian restaurant. And I'm sure the people, some of them in there are, are Russians, but, you know, that's a, a New York business. And so, you know, Russian businesses and Russian vodka is not being, um, drunk and sold in some places. Um, I think the Russian people here, probably a lot of them are looking at what's going on in Ukraine with horror um, and want, you know, don't support it at all. And so I think it's it's very important for everyone in the New York area to remember that not every Russian is, you know, the Russians here are not guilty of anything. And that, in fact, many of them will be looking at what's going on in Ukraine and have Ukrainian friends and relatives and are looking at those events with the same sense of shock and horror as uh, most other people in the world community. Here's a $64,000 question, and that is, how does this all end? Uh <laughs> I don't think anybody knows the answer, obviously, but but but, you know, what what are you thinking? Yeah, Tim, I think that's exactly the question. Um, 
a lot of people are putting a lot of brain time right now into thinking about how to give Putin a credible off-ramp for this. You know, he uh, is feeling the pain for sure. Um, and so he seems to be wanting to dig in deeper so far, although there are some peace talks that have been going on in Belarus. Um you know, my question is, what could he do to both end this fighting and save face? And who could actually be the um, catalyst for bringing him to the table in a realistic way? You know, one of the only world leaders he uh, talks to on a regular basis um, is uh, President Emmanuel Macron of France, who he Putin has continued to talk with, although he doesn't seem to be taking a lot of his advice about de-escalation. So it's not clear who could get Putin into a real talk about a peace uh, plan. Um, and it's not clear what Putin would accept uh, in terms of him being able to declare to his own people, oh, yeah, we got what we wanted. We achieved our objectives. We don't even really know what those objectives are. Does he want to take the whole country? Does he want to take Kiev and the eastern part of the country? Would he actually be happy retreating and just keeping those Russian ethnic Ru Russian enclaves in the Donbass in, the, in eastern Ukraine? Um, will he want that and a land bridge that they're on the verge of capturing that would link those areas of eastern Ukraine to the Crimean Peninsula going along the edge of the Black Sea in the Sea of Azov. Uh, so, you know, we don't know what he wants. We don't know uh, what he would accept. But I think the, the only thing that I know about Putin after watching him for, uh, you know, 22 years is that unless he can save face with the Russian people and he has a way to basically declare victory um, in some way, he will never agree to anything. Well said. Beth, anything I didn't ask that I should have or anything you'd like to add? Uh, not that I can think of, um, you know, other than, uh, you know, my prayers are with all the people affected by this. And I, I hope and pray that it'll all be uh, settled uh, in a peaceful way as soon as possible. Always appreciate the time, Beth. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. thanks to Beth Noble for her time and expertise, and thank you to those who contributed this week from WCBS, including Steve Scott, Peter Haskell, and Robbie Agursoy. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld. Subscribe to the 880 In-Depth podcast to listen to this on demand. Find it wherever you get your audio. Just look for WCBS 880 In-Depth, and please pass it on. Thank you for listening, and as always, be safe.
basketball is in full swing, NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 